views and opinions expressed in Cold and Missing are exclusively those of the hosts. All parties mentioned are considered innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Cold and Missing also contains adult themes and languages and is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, everyone, to Cold and Missing. Welcome back, everyone. I am your host, Allie McLaughlin-Solkowski. And I am your co-host, Eli Solkowski. Grateful husband to Miss Allie. (laughs) (laughs) Alrighty, so we are on a cold case. Missing. Damn. One day. I've got him. Yeah. We should keep a tally. Alright. Missing. I'm ready. So today we're going to be talking about the missing person case of Paul and Sarah Skiba and Lorenzo Chivers. And this takes place February 7th, 1999 in Westminster, Colorado, which is a suburb of Denver. And just as a trigger warning at the top here, we are going to be talking about a young person today, as well as some graphic descriptions of evidence found. So I just want to give that warning right off the top. But first, let's learn a little bit about Paul, Sarah, and Lorenzo. So Sarah, she is nine years old in 1999. She was born July 27th, 1989, and she was four foot five inches and 80 pounds. Her family and friends describe her as friendly, outgoing, caring, and talkative. A young girl who enjoyed dancing, singing, school, animals, riding her bike around the neighborhood and rollerblading. She was always happy and always full of spunk. Paul is Sarah's dad. Paul in 1999 is 39 years old. Years old, and he was born February 23rd, 1960, and he was six foot one and weighed 170 pounds. Paul is divorced from Sarah's mom, and Paul fought hard for his custody agreement with Sarah. So ultimately, he would have his time with Sarah every Wednesday which meant that he would drive 100 miles every Wednesday to pick her up from school, and then Paul would always pick a hotel with a pool for them to stay at for the night. And then he got to see Sarah every other weekend and all summer break. He never missed a visit with Sarah, and he took his custody agreement very seriously. He's described as responsible, meticulous, outgoing, and a gentleman, always wore a mustache, and friends said he was really into fashion, specifically going thrifting for designer jeans. And Paul owned Tough Movers in Westminster, Colorado. And a customer of his said, quote, if he said he was going to do something, he found a way to do it. There was a decorating emergency or someone had to have something quickly, he would figure out a way to do it. Very seldom would he say, no, I can't help you, end quote. And that was Aaron Johnson of Aaron Johnson Antiques, who exclusively used Paul to move their antiques to their customers. Paul was also in a relationship with Teresa Donovan. The two had recently had a baby together, but the relationship was on the rocks and was described as on again and off again. And then Lorenzo in 1999 is 36 years old and he was born November 5th, 1962. And he 
is 5 foot 10 inches and 160 pounds. And he's described as a mellow and easygoing guy, could talk with anyone. He never met a stranger in his life. He was the father of two, a 15-year-old boy and a 12-year-old girl. And Lorenzo and their mother, Misha, were separated but remained close and had a good co-parenting relationship. Lorenzo's son lived with him full-time. And Lorenzo lived with Bobby Joe, who is Teresa Donovan's sister, and Lorenzo had worked for Paul at Tough Movers for a couple of months. So these are some of the events that led up to February 7th. On Friday, February 5th, Paul calls his mother Sharon, who had been taking care of some affairs in Minnesota, but Sharon lives with Paul, and at this time, Teresa was also living with them. So Paul calls his mother, who is visiting Minnesota, and asks her if she'll come home as soon as possible, because Paul had asked Teresa to move out by Sunday night. On Saturday, February 6th, 1999, Paul is watching his best friend and employee, Jerry Bybee's 11-year-old son, while Jerry is on a moving job. When Jerry picks his son up, he asks Paul if he could take tomorrow off, which is Sunday, so he could get together with his siblings and order flowers for their grandmother's memorial service. Paul says no problem and he'll cover for Jerry, even though that means he'll have to take Sarah to work with him because Sarah's visiting him for the weekend. When Jerry and his son return home, his son tells his dad that he and Sarah had stayed outside in a playhouse to stay away from a loud argument that Paul and Teresa were having inside the house. So this is Sunday, February 7th, 1999, and this is the last day that anyone sees Paul, Sarah, or Lorenzo. So Paul and Sarah head out for the day starting at 8.30 a.m. At 10.30, Lorenzo, Paul, and Sarah arrive at their first moving job for the day in Thornton, Colorado. At around 12.50, all of them stop for lunch in Lakewood, Colorado. After lunch, the trio head to Morrison, Colorado for another moving job. It's reported that around 6.15, Lorenzo, Paul, and Sarah are back at Tough Movers. And at around 6.22, Sarah makes a phone call. And CNN reports that Sarah called a 12-year-old relative of Teresa Donovan's. And Sarah told them that they were returning the truck and that they would be home soon. When Paul and Sarah fail to return home, Teresa begins calling police, but Teresa says the police don't take her very seriously. Bobby Joe also starts calling the police when Lorenzo fails to return home. So that's Sunday, February 7th. On Monday, February 8th, Teresa calls Paul's mom, Sharon, telling her that Paul and Sarah had not arrived home the night before. Sharon calls police who tell her that Paul had probably taken off with Sarah and nothing was seriously wrong. Police tell Sharon that Teresa and Bobby Joe had already called a number of times and that they were aware of it. And Sharon says, quote, this is my first phone call and there's something drastically wrong. My son was supposed to call me on Sunday, end quote. Michelle, this is Sarah's mom, also calls police in the morning to report Sarah missing. Now, initially, Michelle thought that Paul had taken Sarah because Michelle had mentioned to Paul that she was thinking about moving out of state. So the Grand County Sheriff Department actually issues an arrest warrant for Paul for parental abduction. But police do not believe that Sarah is in any danger because she's with her dad. Lorenzo's son calls his mother to tell her that his dad didn't come home last night, which was unusual 
usual, he always told his children where he was going to be and when to expect him home. Misha asked to talk to Bobby Joe, who said, quote, I know he's not coming home. I know something terrible has happened to him, end quote. So this is all happening Monday morning. Family and friends are raising the alarm. Now, Jerry, this is Paul's best friend and employee. Jerry arrives at Tough Movers between 9.30 and 10 a.m. Jerry, Paul, and Lorenzo were all scheduled to work a job that day. So Jerry noticed right away that the company's large moving truck was parked front first and crooked when Paul always backed it into a specific spot. He says, quote, Paul was a neat freak, anal about everything. So I'm thinking, oh, I can't wait to hear why the truck's parked like that, because Paul would have a story. That guy could tell a story about anything. He described things like nobody else could. He described food to you and you could actually taste it. I was waiting for him to come in ranting about something that had gone wrong. It looked like somebody had just pulled in the yard at 50 miles per hour and hit the brakes, end quote. And that's Jerry Bybee. Jerry also notices that the front gate padlock had been changed, so Jerry was unable to enter the lot because he didn't have a key for this new padlock. Jerry thought it was strange, but Paul would always change the locks after he fired someone. So he thought maybe this would explain the truck. Maybe Paul had to fire somebody and he changed the padlocks last night. But when Paul and Lorenzo failed to show up for work at all, Jerry also calls the police. On Wednesday, February 10th, so just a few days, the trio has been missing. A Westminster police officer meets Jerry at Tough Movers, and the police ask Jerry to open the gate. Jerry tells the officer he doesn't have a key and doesn't want to cut the lock off in case it's evidence. Annoyed, the police officer slams his car into the fence and jumps onto the hood and over the gate. He asked Jerry if he was coming. So Jerry follows this cop up and over. Jerry points out a puddle of motor oil, partly covered with plywood that had not been there before. Jerry points this out to the police officer, and the officer says, quote, can you prove that he didn't change his oil, end quote. Jerry then went and checked the truck that was parked funny without touching it. So Jerry looks into the cab and noticed it was very clean, and he said, quote, that's unusual right there. The truck's clean. We live in these trucks, end quote. When Jerry points this out to the officer, the cop grabs the door handle and whips it open. Jerry said, quote, I feel he destroyed more evidence than he was willing to look at. To him, nothing unusual there. I was disgusted with him, end quote. So the officer leaves tough movers unconvinced that a crime had taken place. On Thursday, February 11th, Lorenzo's son had been staying with his mother since his father hadn't come home. And so Misha took him to Lorenzo's house so that way he could get some of his clothes. But when they got there, they found that Bobby Joe had packed up the son's entire room and put everything by the front door. On Saturday, February 13th, Sharon arrives back in Colorado from Minnesota, and she had been begging the police all week to look for them. But police insist that Paul took off with Sarah and would be back soon. Sharon tries to explain that Paul was so careful with the custody agreement, he would never drop Sarah off late, and he wouldn't jeopardize it by doing something like this. When Sharon returns home, she actually hires a helicopter pilot to take her around to look for Paul's car. She had the pilot fly over tough movers and also over water because Teresa had been to a psychic that told her Paul and Sarah were dead and Paul's 
car would be by a gravelly area near a lake or river. So Sherrod has the helicopter pilot fly over these types of areas, but she doesn't find anything. Sunday, February 14th, so this is one week they have been missing, Paul's friend, Rich Lesmeister, receives a call from Teresa saying that Paul, Sarah, and Lorenzo were missing. This is the first time Rich had heard of them missing. Not only was Rich a friend of Paul's, but Rich also worked as an auto mechanic and would work on Paul's moving vans and trucks, so he was very familiar with the employees there as well. So Rich and his wife, Carol, spend the morning handing out missing person flyers. And then that afternoon, Rich and Carol meet Sharon at Tough Movers. They tell Sharon to wait outside the fence and him and Carol hop the fence. Rich had been at Tough Movers recently working on rebuilding a motor for a 1978 Chevy moving van. So he was going to see if anything looked out of place, kind of similar to what Jerry and the police officer had done. This time, however, Rich and Carol, they find a smear of blood on the big moving truck door, and they describe it as a print from a bloody shirt sleeve. And then Rich finds the van that he had been working on and finds multiple bullet holes in the side of the truck. The exterior of that same truck had a bloodstained smear across it, and then also a piece of of a human skull was lying near the windshield. So once they find this piece of skull, they climb back over the fence and tell Sharon it doesn't look good and that they need to call police. Sharon first calls her other son, Gordy, and Paul's father, her ex-husband, that they need to come to Colorado as quickly as they could because Gordy and her ex-husband, they are back in Minnesota. And then she calls police. Now, it takes a while for the police to arrive out there because, again, they believe that it is a parental abduction, even though that doesn't explain why Lorenzo is gone in all of this. So Westminster police arrive at Tough Movers, and basically an argument breaks out between police and Paul's family and friends. Rich says, quote, they threatened to arrest us if we didn't leave because there was no crime committed there and we should all go home, end quote. This argument happens for a while too, and Rich tries to explain to police that the big moving truck was never clean, but it was spotless except for blood on the door. And what about the bullet holes in the van? Police say that somebody could have cleaned the truck and cut themselves and left blood behind, and that the van could have been shot at while driving around. Rich has to point out to the police that the van didn't have an engine in it because he was rebuilding it and hadn't put it back in yet. So this fight and argument with police lasts so long that Sharon has to leave to go to the airport to go pick up her son and ex-husband. So while Sharon leaves, more of Paul's friends arrive at Tough Movers to basically argue with police. And finally, police are like, okay, we'll look into it. But now they're arguing over whose jurisdiction it's in. Is it Westminster's? Who's, who should be taking care of this? So now that's the argument that police are having with people. After midnight, a patrol car from Thornton PD shows up and it's decided that Thornton PD would take the case since the missing persons report was made with them. So at 3 a.m., 
Thornton police take down everyone's name and information and tells them all to leave. Thornton police were going to wait for tow trucks to take the van and truck as evidence. Sharon asks them before she leaves to secure the gate when they're done. So that lasts into Monday morning, but later that day on Monday, Sharon arrives back at Tough Movers the next morning to find the gate wide open and no crime scene tape and the place completely unsecure. And this is also the first time any news reports are ran about them being missing, but they're still calling it a parental abduction despite Lorenzo also being missing. On Wednesday, February 17th, Jerry finds Lorenzo's vehicle parked at an apartment complex a few blocks from Tough Movers, but there were no fingerprints found in his vehicle, not even Lorenzo's. And then on Saturday, February 27th, Denver police find Paul's vehicle at an apartment complex in Denver, about 10 miles from where Lorenzo's car was found. Inside Paul's car were his personal belongings and Sarah's backpack filled with Beanie Babies. It was also noted that Paul's usually tidy car was covered in mud, but again, there were no fingerprints found in his car, not even Paul's. In March of 1999, Sharon wanted to keep tough movers operating so Paul would have something to come back to. Sharon asked police if they were done processing the trucks if she could have them back. Police returned the trucks, but the van still had a piece of scalp on it. Sharon asked, quote, do you normally give back a vehicle that still has evidence on it, end quote? So police return to Tough Movers, but this time they also have the Colorado Bureau of Investigation, the CBI. Police and CBI will conduct a luminol test, and a luminol test will detect the presence of blood even if it's been cleaned up. And the oil spot that Jerry had noticed the first time he was there with police was actually blood mixed with oil. In mid-March, police and the CBI state that they have found evidence suggesting foul play. So along with the blood spot that was mixed with motor oil, there was evidence of a large amount of blood covering the back of the truck and cab, and that is discovered with a luminol test. DNA analysis will show the blood to be a mix of Paul and Sarah's, and due to the amount found, police believe they are both dead. The scalp piece belonged to Paul. Hair found on the fender belonged to Sarah. Lorenzo's DNA was not found at the lot, but police believe he could have been killed in a way that would not have left blood. Witnesses will come forward and say they had heard a woman screaming the night that they disappeared. And Teresa will tell Jerry that she went to the lot that night, but not to tell police. Other witnesses say they saw a truck leaving the lot between six or seven times that night before returning around midnight. Police therefore believe that the bodies could, quote, not be more than a couple of hours away, end quote. An extension ramp, straps, and blankets were missing from one of the trucks, and police believed that these were used to sink the bodies into a body of water. Police believed water because vegetation found in the radiator of the truck would indicate that it had been driven near water. In April of 1999, so this is two months, Teresa will take Sharon to court to gain control of Paul's estates, and there was a lot of drama involving this, and I won't get too much into it. Ultimately, Sharon will remain in control of Paul's estate and not Teresa. In March of 2000, 
Sharon dissolves Tough Mover. She wasn't able to keep the business going like she had wanted to. On February 7th, 2002, Misha wanted answers for herself and Lorenzo's children. So she sits down with Detective Pat Long, and he tells Misha and her son that Paul had been using his business as a front for narcotics and got tangled up with the wrong folks, and Lorenzo was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Police will also begin using the story in the media, saying Paul, Sarah, and Lorenzo were, quote, probably victims of drug violence, end quote, saying Paul, quote, wasn't a major drug lord, but had a small client base that he sold marijuana to. Paul's family and friends said he smoked marijuana, but he was not a dealer. Quote, he's not the person they made him out to be at all. Yeah, he dabbled in shit, but he was by no means a kingpin, end quote. And that is his friend Rich. Teresa will also go on the Montel Williams show and say drug dealers had a vendetta against Paul. Paul had rented parking spaces to them, but had recently stopped. She says, quote, they sold Paul drugs and they were the only people that could have killed him. I don't know if it was over the cars or anger over Paul trying to get over the coke, end quote. And that is Teresa. And then this is his friend, Jerry Bybee. He says, quote, as far as theories, there's a million of them out there. They all make sense. They all don't make sense. Paul was a great guy, but he did have his enemies, people he had fired because they'd gotten into an argument or something would get broken, end quote. And one of the people that had a vendetta against Paul, who Paul had fired, was Teresa's brother, Tom. Paul had fired Tom a few months before he disappeared. After Paul disappeared, Tom would threaten Jerry, saying, quote, you're next, you're next, end quote while throwing rocks at a tough mover's truck Jerry was driving. Tom would also call Sharon to tell her he was glad Paul was dead and that him and Sarah had been shot in the head and Sharon was next. Tom will eventually take Sharon and Jerry to court over money he was owed. And at court, Tom, quote, actually looked at Sharon, made his hands like a gun, and motioned like he shot her. End quote. And that was uh, Bob Martinez, who was at court that day and had also worked with Paul. In 2005, family and friends raised money to put up a billboard near Tough Movers, trying to get the word out about Paul, Sarah, and Lorenzo. That same day, police will announce that the case will move from Thornton Police to Westminster Police. Thornton had had the case classified as a missing persons case, but Westminster will classify it as a homicide. In December of 2006, this is over seven years they've been missing, Paul and Sarah are legally declared dead in the court system. And then in February of 2019, at the 20-year mark, police announced that they are reviewing the case and basically starting from scratch. A few years before, they had done analysis on fingerprints they had been able to lift, but nothing came from that. But in this new review of the case, detectives had found two new witnesses that had come forward, and they also had planned on using updated DNA technology. Police believe that, quote, all three were murdered, either at the truck yard or a second 
second location, and detectives believe their bodies were removed from the yard in a moving truck to an unknown location, end quote. But that was February of 2019, and as of 2023, there's been no updates on the case, no DNA hits that have been talked about. So that is all we know about the final days of Paul, Sarah, and Lorenzo. If you know anything, you are encouraged to call Westminster Police at 303-658-4360. If you want to leave a tip but remain anonymous, you can call Crime Stoppers at 720-913-7867. And sources for today's podcast come from westworld.com, specifically a 2008 article titled A Cold Case Frozen in Time, which I'm actually going to link in our show notes. So if you want to know more about the legal battle between Teresa and Sharon or just some more details surrounding the case, this article really gets into everything up until 2008. The Denver Post, CNN.com, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, Westminster Police, and The Charlie Project. Okay. Any immediate thoughts about the case jumping out? Well, now what is all this about? <laughs> That's I How does he how did How do like some of those like specific things like how does that happen when law enforcement exists? Oh yeah, law enforcement and has a f- do your job. Don't give it. Don't give something back with evidence on it. With, oh. It's just so... <laughs> I have no words, honey, honestly. Yeah, I... I was flabbergasted, shocked, angry, all those things. Like, uh, I was... Yeah. When police's... Their first reaction was to ram the gate with their car. I was like, oh, this is... Well, this is... I, <laughs> yeah. Well, well, this went in a very different direction. <laughs> yeah. Law enforcement really dropped the ball on this one from the beginning. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you on that one, honey. Yeah. Just saying it was a parental abduction, but it's like none of that explains why Lorenzo was gone. Yeah. So, sure, like that's a good thing to maybe start at, but... Yeah, they just kind of like treated it like a buffet situation, like because they're... Was some evidence there to fill in a narrative? They were like, well, here, here, here. Here we go. (laughs) Yeah, it was just wild. And then, like, the first cop there that went with Jerry, Jerry's, like, pointing out all this stuff, and the cop's like, well. They were just, like, explaining things away that, like, were obvious signs. Like, the van was shot out while it was moving. And it's like, the van doesn't have an engine in it. It hasn't moved. Like, the, this guy is rebuilding the engine right here. He's testifying. I have not put that engine back in that car. It cannot operate. Those bullet holes were not there when I was last working on it. Those were done here. Yeah. And they were like, it was shot at while I was driving. So after that, then they start fighting about the jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. And, but it was crazy to me that... It, but then even that, that it, like, well, you're, you're wasting so much time. Yeah. Veering off into that direction about, like... <sighs> and at that point, a week had already passed. But that's, like, I also thought, like, is that what they wanted? Like, just, like, causing a bunch of, like, red tape? Yeah. I don't... I don't know. I, like, want to ask, like, what else were you doing during that week? Like, 
was there like some major crime events happening where you absolutely could not look for these people? I don't think there were. You know, I I Did was it looking fall during 9/11. No, no, it was 1999. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was 1999. So. Mm, and I was, like, looking at the newspapers. There were no, like, major articles of, like, major police presence Stop. needed. Yeah. Or just, like, something wild. Yeah. Nothing that would require all of the police officers <laughs> to not, for nobody to look into this. Like, there was there was no reason nobody look, should have looked into this. From the beginning, they were like, Sarah's fine. She's with her dad. Just a lot of police incompetence on this one. Yeah, I think it's important to name that here. Yeah, when you were describing her. Sarah, um, you said spunky and, like, some other sweet things. And uh, I got teary-eyed because it reminded me of, um, well, we have we have lots of nieces and nephews. But mm-hmm. that's instantly who I thought about, you know, and just that, like, the sense, senseless violence. Mm-hmm. The backpack full of Beanie Babies, like, that detail as a 90s kid. I was just like, yeah, that's real. Mm-hmm. Like that was a real person with a real life. Yeah, and like real really, things. really like connected you, yeah, mm-hmm. to that moment. Because I, yeah, I remember like, the the Beanie Baby craze, and every once in a while we'd like stand in line for one when there was like a cool one that came mm-hmm. out, like a tie dye one or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's no one should go missing, but like. Children aren't supposed to go missing, man. You know? <laughs> like, kids aren't supposed to be lost. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, there was a child lost in this case, and it's like, that that's a crime. That's that's something that you have to investigate. Yeah, like, the like did... I'm, I'm getting emotional because I, it's hard for me to, like, accept that there are, are people out there who are in, like, who can do something about it and are just like, we don't care. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. or I don't want to. Like, well, like, why are you there? Mm-hmm. Like, why are you there then? Right. They think just because she was possibly with her dad. But it's like, again, that doesn't explain this third missing person that this is wildly outside of his routine. He always tells his children when to expect him, where he's going, what he's doing. And he always tells the mother yeah. of his children. And even if it wasn't, you know... Uh, like a mass effort, like multiple people like looking into it. Like there wasn't even like one or two people who were like, okay, we're going to like take this and like pedal to the metal, really figure out what happened here. And like do like look into it, like not even that. Well, what I find in my research again and again is that if you are an adult, you are allowed to go missing. It's not a crime. So police can't count it as a solved case unless a crime has been committed. So it's not it's not up on their priorities because that doesn't ultimately count for like cases closed at the end of the year when they get their funding, their rewards, the whatevers, you know, all of that. So to them it's like, well, that's not my job. That's kind of what it feels like in a lot of these cases is they're like, well, unless a crime has happened. Yeah, but like people people call People call cops like heroes. If you, if if that's like what you're signing up for, if that's what you want to be, then like actually be one. A hero like steps up and does the work outside of whatever it, you are being rewarded for. Mm-hmm. Like that doesn't make any sense to me. No. That doesn't make any sense to me. Mm-hmm. I do not understand how anyone would become a cop other than wanting to 
not to police people, but to actually serve and protect the community that you live in and that are a part of. Like, I don't understand how anyone wants that job and doesn't want solely that. I don't understand how anyone would want anything else but that in being a police officer. Mm-hmm. Like, power, control, uh, like, any of that stuff, that feels really bad to me if mm-hmm. I find that out about a person, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I, I, guess, I guess that's... I feel like I'm not being super clear about this, but, like, be, because, like, I'm, I'm, I have emotions about it. Um, it just... It just feels like these people were left behind, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, thank you so much for, for sharing this with us. Um, yeah, I had not heard of this case before, and I couldn't either. believe it. Me either. I mean, uh, every every case, you know, we, we come across, it's like, how have I not known about this? And it, yeah. it really makes you, um, gives you some perspective on how uh, truly wild the world is. Mm-hmm. And honestly... Doing this with you, honey, it it really makes me, like, when I'm out and about in the world, and, I mean, you know me, I kind of do this anyway, but I really do, like, think more about, like, people's experiences and, like, what they're maybe going through even in that moment. Mm-hmm. Because, like, you know, we've talked about so many different, like, lovely people who are no longer here or, like, missing, and I just, like, as I'm moving through the world, I'm I'm finding more delight in just, like, all the people mm-hmm. are around me, you know, and that like, like I love humans and like, yeah, like everyone should be here and like thriving and happy, mm-hmm. y- you know. Um, and you wouldn't think that like a podcast that involves true crime would do that, but um, ours does, and it makes me it makes me really happy. Oh, thanks, baby. Yeah. Um. But again, that's the case of Paul and Sarah Skiba and Lorenzo Chivers. Again, if you know anything, please call the Westminster Police at 303-658-4360, or you can call Crime Stoppers to remain anonymous at 720-913-7867. And please follow us on Instagram. We will be posting photos of Paul, Sarah, and Lorenzo, as well as some uh, other pictures that pertain to the case from there in the link in our bio you can find us on all your favorite podcast platforms you're listening to us right now so go ahead like subscribe five stars leave us a review if you're an apple Podcasts. we appreciate it appreciate it and tell your friends about our podcast we really want to get these cases out to as many people as possible to try to get them closed so tell your friends about it if you're enjoying it that would mean the world to me, to us. Yeah. And but it's okay that you said me because you you built this, honey. It's okay. <laughs> it does mean the world to you. This is your this is your calling, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's it. Have a good week and stay safe, y'all. Stay safe, y'all.